Hello, and welcome to you, Philosopher. Today, uh, we're going to return a little bit to politics, uh, for better or for worse, and I suppose if I seem <clears throat> a little bit more haggard than usual, it's because I've been doing some more research on Twitter and uh, on how our politicians interact with it. So that's actually the conversation I'd like to have today is about the question of how politicians should engage with Twitter. Obviously, since uh, the president-elect, uh, Mr. Donald Trump, is a huge user of Twitter, there's now a real question in terms of whether or not politicians should use it, and if so, if it's okay that they do, how should they use it? Um, and there's a fair number of arguments that can go any which way on it. Um, for one, Simply the question of whether or not they should use it isn't even just a matter of, oh, well, is it below politicians to be using Twitter, but do they have a responsibility to use it since it's such a huge medium by which to contact other people? So one criticism that I've heard, and again, specifically kind of relating to President-elect Trump, is the idea of, oh, I'm not really very comfortable with the president or the president-elect himself using Twitter. That's, you know, that's um, an unpresidential way to communicate with other people. And I'm not 100% convinced that just kind of as a, as a broad brush that uh, the pres president shouldn't do so. Um, obviously, uh, presidents before, uh, so President Obama used Twitter as well. Um, and that particular criticism isn't then particular to Donald Trump himself, but just to the idea of maybe the presidential level being one that's above a, a kind of conversational um, layman's use of social media. The, I think the response ends up being something along the lines of, well, I'm sure there's people who felt that way maybe about um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, speaking on the radio as often as he did and this idea of kind of fireside chats with the public, that there were probably some people who felt that that was not particularly presidential. Now, I'm taking, I'm just taking a shot in the dark here. Everyone might have just been a huge fan of it. But if I know people in general, there are probably those who, it, they weren't used to it, and there were specific ways that they expected the, uh, the, the president to communicate, and that this was kind of a new, maybe too free, didn't really involve, you know, the kind of taking the time to write down a speech kind of a thing. In the same way, it just seems too unconventional or maybe too comfortable. So I think one reply is, is that, well, maybe we're just not all that comfortable with the idea of, of the president doing that. And it's just going to become a new thing. And in fact, someone might argue that there's a moral imperative that the president-elect or that the president do, should do so, or that at least um, that she or he should have people who are doing it for them with some regularity because um, the populace should kind of know what's going on. Right. And so, in other words, that there is either, either the president or someone on the president's team who, with some regularity, is kind of keeping the public that uses that as a main means of communication abreast of what's happening kind of in the world. So the the kind of, I think, broad criticism of whether or not politicians should use it at all doesn't get much traction in light of the fact that, well, there's a whole lot of people that use Twitter and there's a whole lot of people who use t social media. And if it's a means by which to communicate what's happening in the world and what's going on to people, well, that's good. I mean, we want to encourage that kind of transparency. 
it seems to me that one of the bigger tensions that we're engaged in right now is particularly since, I mean, if you look up, and, and this was clearly a mistake on my part, if you look up Donald Trump and Twitter on Google, I mean, it just blows up. And there's a lot of negative that's being said about it and some positive that's being said about it. But what really seems fairly obvious is, is that Mr. Trump was using Twitter as initially as a campaign device, as a means by which to motivate people, get people to rallies, get people involved, um, share his information, but largely as a means by which to kind of help motivate a p political machine that he was building. Well, having now won the election, it seems that maybe part of the, the difficulty is, is maybe that switch seems more difficult to make from uh, campaign device to device for informing the public as a whole of what's going on and what's on the mind of the president of the United States. Because we do seem to have, and, and I'm not sure if this is necessarily the right thing, but we do seem to have some comfortability with the idea that during campaigns, you're allowed to take your gloves off a bit more than maybe when you're actually in office. You're allowed to say some more heated things. You're allowed to be uh, maybe a bit ruder. You're allowed to, to be more on, on the attack. But once you are president or once you're in office, um, you've won. And so now you have a, a, a different kind of responsibility. And well, in fact, now you actually have a responsibility. And whereas you didn't really have that responsibility before. And so there is, a, there is this kind of issue of, well, what switches when you move from being in a campaign to actually being in office? <clears throat> and we don't seem to have made a fairly clear switch in terms of, of Mr. Trump, at least in his tweeting. Um, there, you will still see with regularity, if, if, you, if you look at Mr. Trump's Twitter, um, a lot of messages about come to this rally, right? Or come see me here at. And again, that may not necessarily be a bad thing, but it certainly does seem to kind of fit into a campaign mode way of thinking as if, um, as if the election is still going on. And arguably, well, perhaps to some people it still is by virtue of um, electoral college or recounts or, um, or issues of like C CIA uh, investigation, uh, which is probably something we should talk about too. Um, but just to kind of look at maybe some recent uh, tweets, we, we get stuff like this. So about 23 or so hours ago, um, we got from Mr. Trump, the final Wisconsin vote is in, and guess what? We just picked up an additional 131 votes. The Dems and Green Party can now rest. Scam, exclamation point. Um, another recent tweet was, um, can you imagine if the election results were the opposite, and we tried to play the Russia slash CIA card. It would be called a conspiracy theory, exclamation point. And so these two particular tweets um, called out to me because of their kind of content in terms of still sounding a little bit like uh, like a camp campaign trail. Uh, the idea that there's an us versus them mentality still seems to be something of a strand in the tweets themselves, right? So we just picked up an additional 131 votes, the Dems and Green Party, right? So those others, them, um, they, they can now rest. And this is not entirely new. The idea that the president is still reflective of, of a particular party. So for instance, um, President Obama 
right, had something of a habit of kind of pointing out Republican failures one way or the other in terms of Congress in particular. It is interesting to note, though, this idea of scam, exclamation point, kind of embedded in a tweet. And the tweets are so short. And even though Mr. Trump tweets a lot, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a huge kind of statement for a very small word, scam, exclamation point. Um, so I, and I'm not even entirely 100% sure what Mr. Trump means when he says that. I, I, I assume that he means that the recount attempt itself was something of a scam. And that's interesting because he goes on, you know, in that earlier um, tweet about how if the situation was reversed and, and that we tried to pull the, the CIA card, uh, people would call it, um, a, you know, they start with conspiracy theories. And so the idea then that he does kind of recognize that if the situation was reversed, things would be different. I can't help but think it's highly likely, and I could be very wrong because it's impossible to actually know, that if the situation was reversed and if, and if some of the votes were as close as they were, and if, if some of the questions had been raised, that Mr. Trump would have asked for some recounts. In fact, I mean, truth be told, it seems only reasonable that he would have, given how popular he is and um, given, given how, uh, how close uh, the election was in some ways, uh, it would have seemed unreasonable, I think, at least to the people who really believed in him, that he didn't. And, and so, now interestingly enough, uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign hasn't specifically themselves sought the recount, and I guess we can kind of go conspiracy theory with that. Well, the Green Party is, so it's really just part and extension of the Democratic Party. I mean, I suppose we could try and say something like that. But it seems to me highly unlikely that Mr. Trump himself would not have sought, sought the recounts and, and, and encouraged people to be proponents of those recounts because he felt that he had a responsibility to represent um, his voters to the best of his ability. So it does read to me a little odd that given, given that, that the response to the recounts hasn't been more of a, we really appreciate the hard work on the part of the people doing the recounts who themselves are not really representative of, 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 of either party. They're basically just told, oh, well, you have to do this job and so on and so forth. So there's been this this kind of onerous process to do recounts. But I mean, if I was the president-elect, and obviously I'm not, I mean, I would be largely grateful in terms of, we really appreciate the hard work on the people who, you know, who went through this process. And I'm relieved to know that there's less reason to worry, right? Um, if anything, I would feel, as Mr. Trump, kind of glad to know that my own legitimacy had been sealed a bit more for posterity and to the future and to the history books. Because otherwise there's always that little bit of a question. Well, some people said that maybe there was, and there's these couple of analysts who suggested that there's this disparity, etc. And for myself, at least, even if just only a matter of kind of pride and ego, it's it would be nice to know that that's not really a thing and that that's not actually a process, uh, you know, actually a problem and that we went through the recounts and the pre recounts are done. And um, they still kind of, they, they showed that it was a fair and legitimate election, and that would be a good thing. It, and so one wonders if it wouldn't be so hard to tweet. Um, relieved to know that the uh, that the recounts show what we what we what we already believe to be the case, right? Uh, the election was was in fact uh, fair, and we appreciate those who worked so hard to do it. Something along those lines. Um, but then. <clears throat> 
the, the, the realization becomes that in, in some of this tweeting, what we're seeing is a very, very much kind of an us versus them mentality, right? If we tried to play the Russia CIA card and, and one realizes, well, there's this concern then that we're kind of thinking about it in terms of kind of football teams. Um, and interestingly enough, there is a little article done by the New York Times that discusses that kind of, this is back from October, where they talk about, they're specifically talking about uh, tweeting. And they they say that um, Mr. Trump's candor and style inspired a loyalty he cannot quite explain, right? And then they quote um, uh, Eric Popkin. It's like a sports team. If you're from New York and you like the Jets or Giants and somebody is bad-mouthing your team, there's kind of a knee-jerk reaction to defend them. And part of what the Times is talking about is the fact that um, uh, a, there's there's a lot of people who respond for Mr. Trump. If someone says something negative about Mr. Trump on Twitter, they kind of respond as a network. And they also respond to defend Mr. Trump if he says something that seems outlandish or somehow rude. And so what, what one realizes is that there's just kind of this Twitter war that's going on between the pro-Trump and the anti-Trump. And so that we're thinking about it in terms of sports teams. And now there's this idea of, oh, look, my team has won um, and I want to rub it in your face or, oh, well, your team has lost and it's only because of this scam or something along those lines. And, and in fact, I've even heard um, it described that. So, so Mr. Trump is currently going on a, a thank you tour. And I've heard it described by pro-Trump advocates in terms of, oh, it's a it's a suck it tour you know, kind of sticking it to people who didn't believe in him. And so I guess the difficulty there is, is it's hard to believe in the idea then that um, what's being promoted through this activity on Twitter is actually unity, which seems to be kind of antithetical to what Mr. Trump was saying in his own uh, acceptance speech. I, I would like to believe that Mr. Trump is not actually promoting purposefully uh, disunity. So let's suggest he isn't. The first step then becomes the realization that politicians like him and others are in fact promoting more argument between us by using Twitter in the way that they are. And this is a bad thing. Let's And, 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 and let's say in fact that this actually is a bad thing, right? That, that the country becoming more and more divided and more and more polarized is in fact problematic. We're not gonna understand each other. We're gonna become less uh, willing to listen to each other. We're gonna, we're gonna fight more, argue more, maybe there's more violence. Um, and it's going to be harder for politicians to work together because the farther and farther we are from each other, the more we view them as weak or we're more likely to vote them out if they work with each other and meet some sort of middle ground. So it seems on some level that we should start then pointing out to our politicians, no, 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 no. By using Twitter in this way, you're helping, um, you're helping divide us more. And you might reply, well, Nick, this sounds like you've just been going on and on in, in, a, in, in a thinly veiled criticism of Mr. Trump. But notice um, that it goes beyond Donald Trump. So and, and I'm not I'm not I'm not willing to say that he's the one causing it because, you know, Twitter trolls have been around for a very, very long time, um, long before he supposedly instigated anything. But the response is problematic. Um, so for notice, notice, for instance, the office, the U.S. government uh, of ethics, right? Uh, ethics department, um, specifically had a kind of interesting interaction, right? So the U S offices of government ethics, um, had an interesting interaction with Mr. Trump 
who he said that he was going to um, he was going to kind of divest his business interests, that he was going to separate himself from them. And we don't know exactly how exactly that's working out yet, but um, so he says that, and that's arguably a good thing. It means that he's more separated from his business and that there's less of a chance of a conflict of interest, right? So the verified Twitter account of this office, which again is the ethics office, um, responded, bravo, exclamation point, only way to resolve these conflicts of interest is to divest. Good call, right? Exclamation point. Um, uh, or AGE is delighted that you've decided to divest your businesses. Right decision, exclamation point. And so it became fairly obvious. This is reported, by the way, by NPR. Um, this became relatively obvious, it seems, at that point that um, they're making fun of Donald Trump in the way that Donald Trump tweets. And that seems to me decidedly problematic, especially when it's coming from um, the ethics office. This, so, and, and, and keep in mind, I'm not just criticizing someone in terms of, well, you're not supposed to make fun of the president. I mean, lots of people make careers out of making fun of the president and it's tremendous fun. It's actually part of what makes our, our you know, governmental system, our republic safer is the fact that we can do that without worrying about getting in trouble. But the problem is when it comes from a government office that is supposed to be kind of um, uh, reflecting the government and the government's willingness to work together and to work um, objectively, this is distinctly problematic. So I guess the, the question then becomes, well, but Nick, you're, you sounds like you're trying to censor people. It sounds like you're trying to censor uh, the, the president or, or, or censor the, the people over at the ethics office. And that's not what America's about. And I, and I don't mean to say that. I don't mean to say that, oh, well, we should censor them and they shouldn't be allowed to say what they want to say. And in fact, having this conversation with some of my students, their response is sometimes, well, but people have a right to speak their minds. Mr. Trump has the right to speak his mind and other politicians who are on Twitter have the right to speak their mind. Sure. Though I would like, to, I, I, I might suggest that if we're not willing to draw the line at the campaign, let's draw the line after the campaign in the following way. What I mean is only this, let's tweet responsibly. While you're campaigning, some harm can be done, but you haven't actually accepted an office that um, takes on a certain level of responsibility yet. But I think we can accept the following, that there are certain jobs that by accepting that job and taking on that job, you take on a certain level of responsibility. That, and, and moreover, that people are vulnerable to you. So you say, yes, I take on responsibility for this. And now that there's people who are dependent on you for based on your decisions, they can be harmed by your decisions, and you have a whole heck of a lot more power than they do. That changes the game a bit. And that doesn't mean that you can't speak your mind. It means that there's a, a different circumstance than, than beforehand to keep in mind as you make decisions about how you go about doing things that anyone else would. So let's take teaching, for example. Teachers are literally told when they come in that there's a different standard of ethics that applies to them, period. End of discussion. And if you can't handle that, leave, right? So whilst most people on average can post, for example, themselves uh, drinking at some sort of event, a wedding or something, teachers have to be much more careful about that. They really can't have like pictures of themselves on Facebook with like a red solo cup, right? They can't do that because um, if parents see that, and are, I, this assumes that the students aren't friends with them on Facebook, but if, if, if parents who are maybe friends with them on Facebook, or someone sees that, that all of a sudden that it gets out to the students that this is how, how the teacher acts and, and, and 
there's this idea that, well, and we can have a whole different conversation about that, but the, but teachers have a responsibility kind of not to act that way, right? So teachers can't like happily walk into just strip, strip clubs, right? Or, or into uh, pornography shops or something like that, because there's this idea that, well, okay, while you know, the average person can and may be frowned upon in some sense, that teachers have a higher level of responsibility. Now we might push that and say, well, that, but that's unfair to the, the, the teachers, Nick. They should be able to, you know, if they're adults, they should be able to drink and take pictures of themselves drinking as they want. Fair enough. But there is clearly a higher level of responsibility insofar as, as a teacher, we have a responsibility to the people we can harm. That by taking on the job that there's all these people who can be harmed by me as a teacher that really have no power to stop me from doing so. And that I have to take that very, very carefully. So I'm not allowed to, you know, to hit my students. I'm not allowed to threaten my students. I'm not allowed to do things that can harm my students because they don't really have a way to protect themselves. Not only are we generally not supposed to harm people in the first place, but they're in fact vulnerable to us. The same thing with say being a priest or a pastor, you take on a kind of sacred responsibility for other people's welfare. These people are trusting you and they're vulnerable to you. And I'd like to su suggest that being a politician, president, but any representative, that this ends up being the case. That by being a politician, you have accepted the responsibility, not just for the people who voted for you, but in fact, for everyone that's being represented by your office. That the, all of these people can be harmed and they're dependent on you to be an ethical, caring, invested person in their welfare. In other words, there's not a really a whole heck of a lot that we can do to stop someone once they're in power. There's such a thing as a politician, but then there's actually such a thing as a congressperson or a president of the United States, or someone who works in um, you know, the government ethics office, right? They have specific jobs. They're not just politicians. They're not just people trying to get those jobs. They're not just people trying to represent certain parties. They're people now who have the job of running the country or running the district or running a school board. And there's all these people, students, um, police officers, um, the homeless, all of these people who can be harmed by them. Everyone who's in the area that they control can be done harm by that. Um, if, if anything, the whole, in quotes, Bridgegate scandal demonstrates that kind of thing. I had a friend point out that when they decided that it was okay to basically close down those bridges and call, cause all of that congestion um, in order to, 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 to make a political power play, that there might have been people who lost their jobs as a result. Oh, sorry, you, you were late again. Uh, you're fired. But there's these people who are vulnerable. And we often don't think about that because we get, oh, well, that's, you know, that was, we get upset because we find out about something like this Bridgegate issue. And we go, oh, well, that's like bad politics. But it's not just bad politics, it's bad governance. So we're talking about the people who govern and the people who have a responsibility to us, even if we didn't vote for them. So, I'd like to start a movement and I'd like to call it hashtag tweet responsibility, uh, tweet responsibly, right? Um, that when our politicians, whether it's the president of the United States or a governor or the office of ethics, um, when they do something that's maybe not particularly wise in terms of the way that they're interacting on Twitter in a way that really could harm other people that we should en masse just reply hashtag tweet responsibly or hashtag, if you want to be polite, hashtag please tweet responsibly in order to encourage them to remember that their, that their tweets can, are, are not just ways of communicating with people. They're not just ways of moving your voters anymore, that they're actually ways of like changing policy. Um, you know, Mr. Trump, I think in what was probably a relatively innocent tweet, you know, said when 
the president of Taiwan called him. He tweeted out, the president of Taiwan called me today to wish me congratulations on winning the presidency. Thank you, exclamation point. And that, that seems polite, that seems excited. Um, in, in a lot of ways, it's a charming tweet. But at the same time, one has to wonder, is it a responsible tweet? Now, I don't know how purposeful that was or not, because I assume that a lot of people called Mr. Trump and he did not tweet about every single one of them who called him and congratulated him and thanked him, which would have been an awesome thing to do. And now that I think about it, probably not that hard. I mean, it'd be kind of like sending out thank you cards for Christmas cards or something. But either which way, the point being is, unless we want to read it as some sort of insidious planned conspiracy to really annoy China. The result was a pretty innocent and friendly tweet resulting in really upsetting one of the most powerful countries in the world. Now, it seems like there's a, a high chance that nothing will really come from it. But then on the other hand, it seems like some stuff kind of is coming from it, at least now that Mr. Trump is kind of having to protect that and he's having to defend that tweet. And in so doing, he's pushing back harder against China. And China might start deciding at some point in time to start pushing back. Well, anyways, that being said, if you are someone in this kind of powerful position, your tweets really impact other people. Your tweets can create jobs. Your tweets can cause the stock in a company to go down. I mean, the president of the United States can literally tweet out something like, I love, and then fill, I don't know, I love red solo cups. And then all of a sudden, red solo cups, their stock goes up. But people can also lose their jobs, arguably, with the Taiwan issue, you could, I guess, cause a war, right? And perhaps our school board members and our governors, you know, people who manage districts and so on and so forth, don't have quite that much power, but they still do have a lot of power and a lot of impact. So I'd like to ask them to tweet responsibly, to make sure that each and every tweet that we send out is one that's not going to do people harm, that in fact is going to help promote unity, bring out more transparency and more, more information to the world and the people that they impact. So thank you for your time and I hope you have a great week.